Hi, my name is Candace Smith, and I beat the orphan path by pivoting through failure as a serial founder. I leaned into my specific strengths and was able to build a successful business that adapted to my unique passions. Have you ever gone from having just a few dollars in the bank to a thriving business? Or maybe you've got less than you'd like in your bank account right now and you're feeling lost, hopeless, or unsure if there's any way out for you. Well, today's guest, Candace Smith, was there just three short years ago. Today, she has a thriving PR business, and she's been featured in Glamour, Good Morning America, Forbes, and a lot of other places that are a lot cooler and more influential than this show. Uh, uh, but please keep listening. <coughs> <laughs> Just forget about that. Uh, well, I wanted to showcase this story, guys, because it represents a very cool, very real and practical transformation that so many people who are struggling right now can make, and it might inspire you to make that leap right now in your own life. And this right here is a prime example of the power of entrepreneurship and also determination and how these two things can change the arc of your life in a relatively short time. So without further ado, here's Candace Smith. I'm Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Often Path. Welcome to the show, Candace. It's so great to have you here. And yeah, when I was reading you your bio, me. it's my absolute pleasure. You have done something pretty remarkable in a very short period of time. And I think one of the most exciting parts about your story is that it represents what's possible for somebody in a very, uh, in a just a few years, if they make the right decision or if they change what their trajectory is. Because talk to us about the situation in 2020. Where were you at about three years ago from today? Yeah, just three years. It's crazy right? <laughs> to think about. That's why I find it um, fascinating. Yeah. 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 So um, I started out my career as a serial social entrepreneur. I was actually in, just to give you a little bit of backstory before the 2020, um, okay. I, I started out in, in Teach for America and started my first business from that. And after um, that particular business didn't work, um, I pivoted into the one that I had running in 2020, which was a um, subscription box for couples. And it, it was not something that I had planned to start, but it just fell into it as, as can often happen with entrepreneurship. You sit around when one day you're uh, throwing ideas around, you're like, hey, actually I could I could build that thing and, uh, and let's see how it goes. And so I was in a very unique position at the beginning of 2020 where um, I had realized that my business itself was gaining traction, but the, the, the business model was not sustainable for me. Um, the subscription box and where I was at really required a lot of outside investment in order for me to have the overhead I needed to produce as many boxes, that sort of thing. Um, and I was bootstrapping. So I had reached this unique struggle point where I had actually had my best month in sales um, because it was February. February had just ended and we had a ton of um, orders right around Valentine's Day and, and folks were really excited. So had my best month in sales yet. And I had like $6 and change in the bank account because I had spent everything on buying product to put into these boxes. And so I was left with basically net zero and I was struggling to pay for my car payments. And so I'd gotten it like I was on my second, uh, warning from the bank, like, Hey, 
you need to make your car payment. Like, and I was like, oh my gosh, my credit is totally being massacred right now. And um, I just remember sitting on the floor in my, in my back bedroom, I was packing boxes. They were stacked to the ceiling and I was just, just sitting on the floor. And honestly, it, it was a breaking point. It was a, it was a rock bottom and I just felt so defeated because I had put so much of my time, of my energy, of myself into the business. And it felt like no matter how much I put into it, it would always take more and then some. And ouch. so, yeah, <laughs> it was a big ouch <laughs> moment. Oh. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely, it was tough. And it, it's funny because I, I think back on that time and, and um, one of the things I, I tell friends who, or, or just folks that I speak to who ask me about, you know, what are, what are some pieces of advice um, that you have about businesses is um, I say, honestly, a, a, a startup can be a little bit like an abusive relationship in ways um, because you can give it everything and then some, and it will always demand more. And so you have to learn how to set boundaries because the business does not care about you. It is not a living thing. <laughs> it cannot. But it's a baby. It's your you. baby. But it's a baby. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's exactly the same. Yeah. So uh, that's, yeah. that's where I was in 2020, um, right at the beginning of March. Um, okay. March 2020. Good so right. good timing. I was actually yeah. considering at that moment, do I travel up to New York right around, oh, say March 15th, 2020, sure. and um, have some meetings with investors who had expressed interest in um, potentially writing some checks if I was to do a safe round. And I was like, do I do this or do I pivot? And so I was, I was trying to figure out what those, what those next steps should be. Um, spoiler alert, I did not go up to New York March 15th, which is probably a very good idea considering the state of the world and how New York shut down. Um, but yeah, that was, that was that pivotal moment where I was like, I need to figure I need to do something. And it's not this, I need to not continue doing what I'm doing. I have to pivot. What do I do? What an interesting time to have that kind of realization. And I think for people who haven't started their own business, it is a very unique situation where you are dealing with more amounts of money than you've ever dealt with. And, and I also am a business owner, more on the agency side. So my my first business is more like the business that you're in now. Uh, but mm -hmm. you can have enormous amounts of money flowing in and through your bank accounts, and it can also mean absolutely nothing to you. And that's such a very interesting place to be <laughs> where other people, you're like, look at these dollar amounts going in and out all the time. And people say, whoa, that's crazy. And you're like, yeah, but it's, that's not so important as much as what you get to keep at the end of all of that, uh, which right. if you're not careful in any business can be zero or negative, and then you have to keep investing. So it's it's a very unique position to be in. And I, I agree that uh, it can be something like an abusive relationship, yes, uh, if you're not very careful. So you went from a business exactly. that required lots of capital, 
And that yes. is always the traditional debate. When any, anytime somebody's thinking about starting a business, there's kind of two types of businesses. There's a service business that doesn't really require capital that you can more easily bootstrap, but it also mm-hmm. doesn't have that insane growth potential of selling it for $20 million three years later. Or you yeah. have something that you have to invest a lot more upfront, maybe a higher potential for upside and uh, exponential growth, but you also have that potential for it just not working out, which so many of those types of high growth companies uh, don't, obviously. We just don't hear yeah. about that very often. Um, so you knew you needed to make a change. Why did you make the change into what you did? Yeah, so one of one of the things I was thinking through, one of the questions I kept asking myself was, what value can I offer? What value can I offer other folks that would be marketable? What is something that I could lean into and pivot into potentially quickly. I don't know. I have certain things going for me. I have a network of folks that I have cultivated over the years. I have um, a, 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 I had recently discovered that I had some skill in storytelling. And I had thought that because I hadn't built this model to Uh, profitability that, you know, maybe I'm just not that good at sales. But what I didn't realize is that I was excellent at sales. Um, I just wasn't selling the right product. And so what I decided to do, because I had actually gotten into a ton of different uh, media opportunities for myself by telling my own story, by um, reaching out to journalists and kind of just teaching myself how to represent myself in media, um, I realized that I could help other founders with their PR strategy. And so maybe the next day after that rock bottom day, I reached out to some folks, a couple of mentors. I reached out to people in some of my networks and I said, Hey, You've seen some of the the features that I've gotten. You know, I was able to get myself into Forbes, into Bustle, into Cosmo, into um, Business Insider, and like over 100 different um, media opportunities, whether it was speaking opportunities in person, podcasts, um, features for my my product, features for myself. Um, You've seen how I've been able to get traction. Some of you have asked me how to do it. Um, I'd love to sit down and just offer some sessions. Um, if anyone needs help, happy to offer advice of how I've done it myself, how you really don't need to spend that much money to do it. And I signed my next client the next week. Cool. What was yeah. your pricing structure like in those early days? How did you charge oh, monthly per? It was bad. <laughs> feature? Okay. Yeah, but this is good. This is the nuts and bolts, yeah. you know, because people are like, I want to do something different with my life. How, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how I got started, um, I set I set up a discovery call, right? Didn't call it a discovery call then. I was just like, hey, what do you need help with, right? Sat down, hashed out with, uh, with the other person and got a sense of what they were looking for. And I'd say, all right, I, I think this is probably going to take about, you know, 10 hours, if that's what you can afford. And this is how much I would charge for 10 hours of my time. And let's start there. And I went on, oh gosh, what is it? 
rocket lawyer or something like that found a, a little con- contractors <laughs> yeah. legal zoom the or something old like starter that. Found contract. A, a little contractors yes. agreement um you know asked a couple of folks does this look all right i don't have the money to pay a lawyer right now yeah yeah that looks fine and i sent it over and i i said does this look okay to you this is a general like i even said like i just pulled this off of some website but this is what i can offer to you and um and that was how i got started and over time you know when it came to pricing i discussed with other folks is I realized actually I was very good at getting people results. Um, and that this was a, a skill set that I didn't realize that I could have tapped into. Um, and also just with, with experience that I'd had being a business owner and seeing some of the issues that I had had, had gave me the ability to um, offer advice in ways that I, I didn't know that I would be able to for different businesses and different industries, just because I'd seen some of the, the pitfalls that I had run into um, and had prior experience there. So I researched, got a sense of what, what other folks within the industry were charging at my particular skill level versus the results that I was getting for folks. Mm. And I experimented. And I saw, you know, can I ask for a little more? Can I ask for a little more for my time? Actually, you want something that's more on a retainer. And so over time, I started actually by that, by that summer, I had 12 clients and I was drowning um, in the amount of work that I had to do. And I realized, A, my prices are way too low. And B, I am giving way too much for what, um, for what my prices are as well. So... I realized then that I needed to both raise my prices, hire someone to help me. And, uh, and then I realized I probably had a business. Um, yeah. And you famously did six figures that first year, which, you know, again, as you know, that (laughs) you don't keep all of that money, folks. (laughs) It's like, there's a lot, especially as a business owner, uh, you, you keep a percentage when you're investing in yourself and talent and contractors or employees, as you of course know very well. Yes. Um, so nowadays it's more of a retainer model. That's sort of where you've landed these days. That's basically yeah. what we do. Yeah. I find that makes uh, the most sense for our, our type of business. I have a marketing agency and that's basically what we do as well. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there, there are one-off projects that, that we do for clients and it's, it's not something where, um, so I have, I have a bit of a different approach where I won't, if somebody comes to me and says like, I want to get into five, uh, places. I want to get into Forbes. I want to get into here and there. I say, listen, that's not, we don't promise one-offs. Um, I have, I am very mindful of the mistakes that I made when I was running my own businesses. And, and some of these, um, these features that folks think they need, um, aren't necessarily going to be the most valuable, um, and, and have ROI for their businesses. So we really do take a, a different approach to figuring out, you know, how is PR actually going to drive return for your business? Cause I think that's a, an ongoing, uh, an ongoing issue and question and a lot of myths abound about it. Um, so occasionally we'll do one-off projects, but they're not like, let's get you into this particular publication. It's more so, let's figure out how to tell your story in a different way and let's work on your messaging. Let's, let's retool your website, that sort of thing. Sure. Well then, you know what my next question is going to be. 
obviously. How is PR actually going to return yeah. ROI for anybody? Absolutely. So um, it's going to look different for everyone. Um, every industry is going to be different. Every business model is going to be different. But I do believe that when a founder is getting started, um, there's this myth that you have to have everything perfect before you start with PR. And I believe in thinking of PR more holistically as a tool that should be blended very closely with your marketing strategy. Um, they should be talking to each other uh, all the time to make sure that the story that you're telling, actually, this is the way that I like to explain it, that marketing is the story that you tell the world and PR is the story that others tell the world about you. So how can you make sure that those two stories align? And when in PR, you're, you're taking a look at, you know, relationship, how do you quantify the power of relationship building? Um, obviously, when you look at one feature, that one feature is not necessarily going to drive a ton of sales. There's no direct correlation there. But when we look over time at SEO, when we look over time at uh, opportunities that are coming from different types of um, types of features, whether you're going to conferences and you're speaking more, right? And we're, we're submitting you to conferences and that then brings in five more opportunities or, you know, you're, you're getting featured in some of these different, um, you know, top publications or industry niche publications. And that is bringing more customers in your door, or you're seeing that you're, um, your signup rates are increasing, right? We always take a look to see like, if you're in e-commerce, there are certain things that we may want to look at to see, okay, are we bringing the folks in the door to you? And is your marketing helping them stay, right? So those two, they have to be working together. So that's why we work with individual clients to see, yes, these features can be helpful, but maybe they're just, you know, a notch in your, a notch in your belt. And you're like, yeah, I got in a fortune, that's great. Your audience wasn't there. So we need to see, are you actually getting an uptick in views? And then from there, are people coming and converting? So, yeah. This podcast is brought to you by my agency, Aloa. That's A-L-O-A, a digital marketing agency that helps brands and nonprofits on a mission to improve the world tell their story. We do website prototyping, design, UI, UX, SEO, CRO, 3D design, video editing, commercial creation, 2D animation, industrial design, content management, learning management systems, and our roots are in e-commerce, managing and building extensive catalogs with hundreds or even thousands of products. In short, we do everything brands and nonprofits need to grow their digital presence with simple, transparent monthly pricing that you can just build a package that's super easy and figure out exactly what you need to grow. Learn more at aloa.agency. That's A-L-O-A dot agency. And now back to the show. Well, you're absolutely right that you can get a feature and not have it impact your business. I was featured in the LA Times. Um, the article awesome. was, local man runs naked through 7-Eleven at 3 a.m. <laughs> Didn't help my business much. <laughs> I, I was shocked. Uh, you know, I mean, so... I don't know if I believe in PR is what I'm trying to say. No, I'm kidding. Um, Interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, so but because I believe all publicity is good publicity. I genuinely believe that even if you're doing horrific things. Um, 
But no, you're of course right. And it sounds like our businesses overlap a, a little bit because we also offer SEO and some of those inbound marketing. We call ourselves more of a marketing agency and you're more of a, a PR agency with French press. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is some sort of overlap in the sense that you're trying to build a perception of value over time and you're trying to help people understand yeah. that it's not like sales where it's just a one-to-one, yeah. I call, you either close the sale or you don't. There's this other mm-hmm. thing like perception, brand perception also. How do all of these elements add up? And I think that's something that's always an argument or at least a discussion between people who are more sales-focused and people who are more on our side of the business is, you know, what what is any of this worth, right? And yeah. if you look at an Apple, who you know, tr- trillion-dollar company, you look at an Apple and they wrap the cable for their iPhone in a very particular way and have a certain kind of bag and all of that. And, you know, if you're a sales-minded person, you say, oh, that's all a waste of time. Why not just throw the cable in the bag? Why not have a cheap plastic bag, right? Because how is a cable being wrapped neatly or a right kind of bag? How is that mm-hmm. improving my sales? But smarter oh, people understand— Right. It's, that's just a waste of time and resources. But as smarter people understand that it's all holistic and that it all goes together. And uh, I do think that when people have this very short-term ROI mindset, they're missing out on a huge, huge, huge chunk of much greater value that takes time to build. Do you agree with that? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, PR, uh, and that's that's one of the first conversations that I have with folks that come to me or with people that I mentor or, or advise is that PR is a long game. You know, it's, it's yes, the individual wins and the features are exciting and that's great. And obviously we want that. That's a part of the work that sure. we do, but that is not the, the focus of the work that we're doing, right? We're trying to build these relationships and especially for, for startup founders, startup scale-ups, you know, as you're growing your business, your narrative should evolve. And one of the biggest problems, and I've had it myself, I know a bunch of other founders that have this problem, is just knowing how to tell your story in a succinct and engaging and exciting way that gets your ideal customer, client, audience audience member inspired and excited to work with you, right? So that is a big part of the work that my team and I focus on is not just getting like, can we get this feature? Because that, yes, if we get it, great, we'll measure the impact. But if we're not getting it, there's also a lot of data to be gleaned from that. And a lot of understanding um, that can come from your your outreach to folks. So I'm, I'm kind of getting a little into the, the in vague territory here. For example, um, had a client, still have this client, but when I first started working with this client, they were in the vegan space and they were having trouble breaking out of the vegan space into a more mainstream audience. We have since solved that problem. But one of the first things that we did was examine our messaging and examine what is the media saying about this industry and specifically what is the plant-based media saying versus the mainstream media saying. And one of the first things that we noticed was a shift in language, right? The mainstream media wasn't saying vegan, vegan, vegan. They were saying plant-based businesses, alternative proteins, right? So we started leaning more into that language and immediately we started seeing an uptick in open rates. We started seeing more responsiveness. And so that gave us the insight 
to go back to that client and say, I think we need to shift away from some of these story angles. We have to lean into what the media is saying. And immediately we saw a huge difference. And at the end of that first, it was five months of that part of the engagement, um, that client went from, uh, I'd say about, I might be fudging the numbers here, but under 10% of the features um, that they had gotten previously were outside of their vegan bubble. And afterwards, 55% of their features were in mainstream. Wow. That's a huge, huge, huge difference. Yeah. It's like when I tried to pitch my story from the LA Times to the Wall Street Journal, they didn't care because it wasn't about money. Apparently running naked through a 7-Eleven is not newsworthy to the Wall Street Journal. But when I said <laughs> local business person experiments with microdosing, suddenly they were interested because all of the Silicon Valley people do that. And you just talk about Burning Man and you're guaranteed to get into the tech article. Shifting that language, yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's all in the sake of experimentation. Um, that's fascinating. So people have really seen... Uh, so you, I don't want to say parrot, but you mimic the language that you find from the news and the media and you say, okay, this is this helps us package my story in a way that's more palatable to them. Yeah, I think that, that there's a lot of value from learning from the, the discourse that's happening right now, right? I like to say that even just going in onto Google News and typing in a few keywords about your industry and reading some of the articles that come up from there. Um, journalists are a masterclass study in what's clickable, right? It's their job to make stories worth reading. And so if they're not good at that, then their stories are not going to get read and they're probably not going to get more stories, right? And so, yes, of course, there's editorial and the, and the editor has some say in what the final... What the final um, headline is, but you really can learn a lot from just reading headlines and seeing what are some of the patterns that are emerging in the language that's being used and what's absent. What are some of the white spaces that we can use to contribute to the conversation in a slightly different way? So if you can demonstrate to somebody that, hey, yes, you don't know me, I don't know you, but I've done my research. I see that you're writing about these things. And I'm going to use some of your language back to you to show that I've done my research. And also, I have something of value to offer you that isn't what everybody else is saying. Want to have a chat? Fascinating. What a cool story. Yeah. So on your personal journey now that you're just three years into this, it seems like you saw pretty immediate, I don't want to say immediate, but pretty early positive signs. Uh, at what point did you really feel like, I made the right choice. Do you feel that you made the right choice? Do you ever wish that you had done something else? Do you ever feel the grass is greener? Or do you solidly believe that you're on the right path for you at this point in time? I think right now it's the right path. I, I have the privilege, the very unique privilege of being able to choose who I want to work with. I have the unique privilege of having built a business that works really well with my own strengths and I'm able to hire folks to help me with my weaknesses. Um, and I think that when you're able to leverage your own, not just passions, but, but the things that you're good at 
and you're open-minded to continuing to learn, it's an ideal place to be. And so I realized that I've had a very circuitous background. I did not go into college knowing what I was going to do with my life. I left college, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And as I've gone along the way, I've leaned into things that I was passionate about or interested in. And I've now used all of those lessons to help me be a better publicist. So I love what I'm doing right now. I think, I think it's very fulfilling. It's very frustrating. There are terrible, terrible times. Um, there are wonderful times. And, you know, I, I forget who wrote this. I, I feel bad about this, but some, some writer was saying something like, you know, you have to choose what your shit sandwich is going to be. Oh, yes. Right? Is that Glennon Doyle? Or, uh, it's one of those. Um, it's one of those, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. You know who I'm talking about. Somebody on Oprah's book club. One yeah, of them. Exactly. One of those New York uh, Times bestsellers. Yes. Um, who not said Glennon that. It's, one of the others. Yeah. It's, it's not. It's not. Um, Oh, it's the, is it the eat, pray, love woman? Oh my God. I know this. I'm blanking. Um, anyways, yes. Gonna, choose your shit sandwich. Me yeah. Me choose too. your we'll shit sandwich. We'll get it. Right. We will. Everything has a shit sandwich. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And working with startups is a unique, it's a uniquely, um, exciting and challenging industry to work with. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, um, that is that's true. I work with a lot of startups as well, and it's always uh, pros and cons. You know, there's challenges, but there's also a lot of benefits to having people who are scrappy and and uh, trying to go forward in a quick way um, versus big established companies. Um, so you feel like you've made the right choice for the short term. At least you feel like you're on the right path. What would success look like on this path? It's just more clients expanding. What, what's your new target for this? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that, actually. I just I've had a very interesting couple of years. Um, I actually I thought I was going to die last summer. I ended up in the hospital um, <sighs> for five days. Yeah, I got uh, I got food poisoning um, from daily harvest, <laughs> which I don't know if you saw the headlines about that, but a bunch no. of folks, a bunch of, a bunch of folks got really sick last summer. Um, and I had a gallbladder attack, ended up, I passed out and, um, my, my partner brought me to the, the emergency room. I had to have my gallbladder taken out. You know, I'm, I'm just now, I think three months ago, now I got, I got a clean bill of health for my doctor. So still, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my liver enzymes are finally back to normal. Um, they were in the, in the four hundreds when they should be in like the thirties. So it was, it was terrifying. It was a terrifying time. And I think having that, um, having that experience of just being in the, in the hospital bed and just not knowing, you know, what, what is next and what am I spending my, my time doing and what do I actually value? Um, it was another one of those moments. I think it, that, that in a way um, it made me question again, what am I doing and why am I doing it and how am I spending my time and how do I want to spend my time? Um, 
And I think within this past year, since I've come out of that, um, that experience, I've thought a lot about what are the next steps, especially for a company that has grown quickly. What do I want to spend my time doing and how do I want to make sure that I have enough balance um, to spend with my loved ones as well? Because I really have spent a lot of time, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't even say I'm a recovering workaholic. I am, I'm still in it. Just a <laughs> I workaholic. Yeah. Call a spade a spade. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't even gone through step one. Um, yeah. You know, so I, as I think to the future of French press and what I want to continue to build, I know that working the boutique route which is definitely going to require a lot of my time, a lot of my energy. Um, I can see myself doing that in the short term, but maybe next five years, probably not. I want to bring on more folks. I want to make sure that um, my methodology is scalable. That is very important, obviously, that um, I can teach others to emulate the the same approach that I have so that we can get similar results for our clients. Um, but I'm also focusing on building out some other, other projects um, mm. that I think can help more founders um, and, and have a much wider reach because I still am interested in education. Um, and so I'm, yeah, I'm working on a few other projects right now as well that are very PR focused, PR related. Okay. but I think can have a much bigger impact. So um, what advice do you have then for me? You talked about leaning into the things that you are good at. So, you know, what if you feel that you're good at something like, for example, making jokes or bringing serious topics to people in a humorous way, but then you post on LinkedIn and you are, quote, making a mockery of the platform and making a fool of yourself and you are utterly ridiculous. What advice do you have for somebody who believes that they have strengths in one area, but the world is telling them that they don't? I mean, is it really the world? Or is it just a few folks that are unhappy? I mean, I would take a look at, you know, who is the audience that you're trying to speak to? And are you, are you properly reaching them? Maybe the folks that you're currently in front of or that the algorithm places you in front of are not going to be your people for that particular message that you want to get out. But that doesn't mean that you can't go somewhere else on, say, Discord or YouTube or... Um, you know, any, any other TikTok, I don't know, and, and have your, have your, your jokes on, on that platform, test something else. But I think, you know, you have to think about who you want to bring value to. Um, and what are you doing it for? If you're doing it just for yourself, cause you love it. And that's what brings you joy. Like screw it, <laughs> do what you want. You know, it's, you're not hurting anybody and anybody who's upset. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of upset people. It's the internet. Um, so you can't let the, the opinions of a few folks drive what, what you love to do or make you put boundaries on yourself or curb, curb how you express yourself. It just may not be the right outlet for your expression, or, uh, maybe you need to test, test another audience. 
That makes sense. I mean, I don't think I'm hurting anybody, but the state of California disagrees. So anyways, that's the subject of an ongoing legal battle. But uh, no, um, you have a lot of great insights. Uh, <laughs> you have a lot of great insights. Is this a LA Times article? <laughs> you know what? I, I knew I would regret bringing that up. Uh, it's a pattern of behavior. According to the judge, it's a, pat- a longstanding pattern of behavior. It's not a one-off right. incident, and that puts you in a different category, I guess. But, uh, you know, <sighs> politics. Politics. Uh. I mean, uh, it sounds right for writing a book, but that's just yeah, me. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> How to do it the <laughs> wrong way. Turns out there is a dark side to PR. Um, but yeah, you've, it's a fascinating story, and I hope people take note from this because it represents, like we said at the very beginning, a very real pathway to doing something very different with your life. And I know that there are a lot of people, maybe not quite serial social entrepreneurs, but a lot of people who have gone on the journey that you had gone on before you ended up at this place, people who find themselves dissatisfied with where they're at, people who maybe feel like mission and purpose is absent from their life, or people who just feel that Mm -hmm. they need to make some kind of a change. And it's just really cool for people to see the story, in my opinion. It's cool for me to see that somebody can make that conscious decision at a very dark and scary time in the world and have that play out and end up putting them on a path that makes a lot more sense and that is fulfilling a lot of the needs that the previous path wasn't. So... I hope that people are taking note and and, and inspiration from this because I think it's super cool. And it seems like you're poised to make it even more cool the next five years. (laughs) So good job. Good work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks. I mean, I I would say um, just for anyone who's listening, if you are in a place where you're feeling stuck, it never hurts to reach out to the folks around you and just ask them for their thoughts on what, on what you could offer to the world. Because I had a few of those difficult conversations and realized that the path that I was on was no longer serving me, even though I, I was married to this idea of what it could have been. And I thought that I needed to just keep pushing it. And there's so there are so many stories out there that tell people if you just keep failing, eventually you'll succeed, right? And there's so many narratives cousin, that like is not that. true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can hundred percent confirm that is not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, right. keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, and. Um, and I think it's it's particularly toxic in in entrepreneurship, but I think it can be toxic for anybody, right? It doesn't matter doesn't matter what you're facing, what that thing is. If it's not working for you, there are other options out there that you may not just you may be too clouded to realize. And just getting that outside perspective can be so helpful in realizing, like, oh wait, I actually I am pretty good at PR. Yeah, I can I can talk to some people and and see if they're interested in that. That was all it took. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I feel like there's a need I have to inject something before we wrap this up about my own life. Sometimes people ask me for advice, or sometimes people ask me for business advice and I think you mentioned earlier that you're in a privileged position that you're able to select the clients that you have. And sometimes people say 
you know, we think of networking as one thing. We think of building business relationships as one thing. And we think, you know, how do I close more sales calls? I always take issues with those types of tactic-minded things. It's like, how do you close more sales? Here's a script that you can follow and an email and all that stuff. And people say, what's your approach to going to get business? And I tell them, look at what I'm doing with this podcast. (laughs) This is episode 180-something. That means that I've had 181 conversations with people who are very interesting. And none of that happened by itself. I had to go Mm -hmm. out through great effort to seek out the kinds of businesses because I, too, am in a privileged position where I can choose who I work with with my marketing agency. And so it's not just like here's a prospect list of 5,000 people cold outreach and hope for the best. I do try to find, I make it part of my life, finding the most interesting businesses, the people that I believe in, the stories that I believe in, the companies that are making a positive impact in this world. And I think when you frame it that way, sometimes people say, oh, right, that's a huge undertaking. Yeah, And it is a huge undertaking, but it is also, I think, the most important question that anybody could be asking themselves who's either trying to build a business or who's trying to do anything professionally is why am I doing this? What Mm -hmm. am I doing it for? And what do I want to dedicate my life towards? Because we only have so many good years to work towards anything before we can anymore, as your health scare proved. You don't even know how many years at any age that you have or how many days or hours you have left. So what do you want to work on? And how can you make sure that you're putting yourself in a situation where you're able to work with the people that you like and on projects that mean something to you? And I don't think that that's going to happen by accident. I just don't. No. It's a lifelong pursuit. It's very true. Very, very true. And I think that's one of the big things that we tell our our clients and, and folks that come to us to learn about how to do PR for themselves is you have to know who you want to serve. You have to think about who you want to serve and what value can they get from you? If you frame it, even pitching, when I'm pitching journalists, I'm trying to think, how can I serve them? How can I help make their lives easier? Well, I can offer them value. I can research what they're interested in to make sure that I'm not just randomly pitching out a whole bunch of people and filling up their inboxes with crap, right? I can reach out and say, hey, listen, I would love to offer you a pitch that would be valuable to you. And when you approach sales that way, when you approach posting on on social media platforms that way, when you approach your personal branding or, you know, sales conversations, if you think about who you want to help and how you can be most helpful to them, it's very easy to get aligned and see like, yeah, you have a problem and I know what your problem is. I know how to describe it to you and I know how to solve it. Sales accomplished. Amazing. I was going to ask you what your philosophy is in 30 seconds to wrap this up, but you just did it. <laughs> you already <laughs> you knew that this was the end and you just thought, yep, yeah. I'm just going to avoid that next question. So I don't even have to ask that anymore. Um, very cool. So the website is frenchpresspr.com. Am I right about that? Uh, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Frenchpresspr.com. Um, if you're interested in full service PR, I'm always happy to sit down and chat with folks. If you just have a couple questions, um, I do but virtual not too much. Coffees. No freeloaders. No freeloaders. No freeloaders. No, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. You can, you can ask me questions. No. I no, go, go, go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, you can absolutely come and talk to me if you have questions. Um, and then we also have 
a uh, accelerator program for folks who want to learn how to do PR for themselves. Um, it is on our website at frenchpresspr.com forward slash hustle. Perfect. Well, may your health continue to be on an upswing. May uh, Hopefully, let's put that Thank in the you. past and may your business continue to grow. It's fascinating. Thanks again for sitting and taking the time, sharing your inspiring story with me and with all of us. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. I think it's awesome. Um, I will definitely Thank think you. about some of your points. I could use some of your pointers. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll replay <laughs> the tape. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Um, mm. No, it's, it's awesome. So, yeah. Thank thanks. you. And with that, the official podcast is over. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we've shared, it would mean a great deal to me if you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice or on YouTube. And of course, if you shared either the show itself or this particular episode with somebody who might want to hear it to help us grow the audience for the show, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you've been a passive listener all this time, I get it. I understand. There's no big deal with that. But it would really, really mean a lot to me if you'd leave a positive review and help me grow this show. So thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.